0: Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. <music> mi gente, what is good? This is Machete Mate, back with a current events episode. Quick shout out to our compas oficiales. Not only do you justify in our hearts what we do here and help us bring the little words to Latin America that we try to bring, I suppose, Um, but you'll now be rewarded with some extra Patreon content, hopefully, that we'll probably be laying down after this recording, so check that out. Um, We'll keep you posted. Um, It'll most likely be just more casual stuff in the spirit of the dudes rock gospel, you know, just (laughs) <laughs> just guys being dudes just dudes being guys <laughs> uh, nah but um in all seriousness um it'll probably be some really really good just more casual conversation um because right we're, we're building parent parasocial relationships right like let us oh, fuck all uh, your minds God. up give <laughs> the game
1: away man damn yeah dog sorry, you're not sorry, sorry. supposed to say that out loud sorry, sh- 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 sorry sorry sorry
0: Anyway, last week we dropped our Comrade Convo with the homie Matt from Midwest Socialist Podcast, where we talked about the absolute evil being perpetrated by the odious Mayor Lori Lightfoot regarding plague response in school openings, the antagonism between CTU, so Chicago Teachers Union, and CPS, Chicago Public Schools, and a bit about navigating Latinx identity. Um, Obviously, we all do that in our own various ways because we all have different experiences growing up in our different um, communities so that's really really interesting there um matt is a great fan of ours great comrade doing the lord's work it was a dope chat so check it out if you haven't yet and look even if you think matt is an asshole his perspective is incredible so check it out and check his show out not that anyone thinks he's an asshole because he's like top three sweetest guys i know man it's like Tom Ogic, if you're man. listening matt
1: <laughs> you're an asshole awesome, but we love
0: you. yeah you're an asshole we love you um actually i don't think you're an it- asshole.
2: It is not, is it's not good form to talk shit about someone when they're not around to defend what? themselves. I said That's I love him. <laughs>
0: yeah. Anyway, Matt, Matt, we love Much you.
2: Much love man. to you, brother. But we love you. Um.
0: Anyway, as usual, I'm Leroy, coming to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people in the Queens Colonial Outpost in Oceania, and we got the homies from the Florida of non-Floridas. Austin, <laughs> what's good, bro?
1: Always good to be back with you, Leroy. Always. And T, what's good, man?
0: How goes it, y'all? Yep. Um quick web check. How are we all doing? How are we hanging? How's it going?
2: Um, I would say I'm good and vibe is good. Uh the uh, just Virginia honestly like has been really knocking shit out of the ballpark. I mean, technically, this is kind of news Hell newsworthy. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, Virginia banned the death penalty. Uh or at least the legislation has moved ahead to uh, ban the death penalty, both uh, the Senate and the House of Delegates. Then another big news: uh, the same thing for marijuana legalization, which is huge.
0: Now we can try it for the first time
2: together. Exactly. I've never done a marijuana before. I don't. I, I, yeah. I've never.
0: I've never drank marijuana. I've never drank pots. I don't
2: yeah. Know. Yeah. I. I'm. I've always been scared of needles, which is why I've avoided avoided <laughs> yeah, shooting up pots. So. <laughs> You know, it is what it is. But like, I mean, it is it is great that weed legalization is happening because of, you know, and also like a lot of the people who have been campaigning for it have been working really hard on it. You know, expunging records is supposed to be a part of it. But I mean, again, let's we we don't want to celebrate too quickly because it's still in the process. They're a lot farther than expected. Uh, A big one, though, truly is the death penalty, which if you're not from Virginia, you know, Austin, you can definitely attest to this. If you're not from Virginia and or if you like say you didn't grow up here, like, say, before what, 2005 or something, you know, if you weren't here, you wouldn't understand the kind of like cultural power that the death penalty had for Virginians. Virginians used to take fucking pride in killing people. Pride. And now it looks like it's finally over. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, that's dope. How about you, Austin? You good?
1: Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm I'm feeling great. Right, always happy to be here on the pod with both of you. Of course, like you said, T, the things that are going on in Virginia. They have me very, um, very excited, very enthusiastic about what the the future holds. Of course, like you said, we're still not done fully on marijuana legalization and marijuana justice, as you were touching upon. Um, I'm also excited for Ecuador, right? Everything that's going on in Ecuador this weekend. That's, yeah. that's incredible. That, that gives me optimism, right? I was telling my brother just earlier this week, you know, thinking about everything going on in Latin America, thinking about Puerto Rico and how I'd say it's pretty inarguable that the independence movement is literally the strongest it's, it's been in our entire lifetimes, right? <laughs> like, I'm beginning Which to see we'll light of the later? tunnel. I was going to say, which we will get to later. Oh, yes, we will. Great I'm second, really beginning. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just saying I'm beginning to see light at at the end of the tunnel, and it's a it's a refreshing thing to feel.
0: That's fantastic. What, ab- what about you, brother? I was gonna say, as for me, um yeah, just chilling, doing my thing. Um, like I was telling you guys beforehand, like it's a little bit of a miserable day outside. Um, it was like almost 100 degrees in the sunny the other day, and today it's like overcast and like 17 degrees celsius wherever that is so like what like 68 or some shit um fahrenheit um the little one was sick early in the week which kind of sucked. you don't want to see your child sick, whatever and then he kind of because little kids are just vectors for disease like me and my (laughs) wife got sick and i had to call in sick to work um which i don't like doing um if if you're not in management call in sick if you can if you especially get paid for it i'm in management so I need to feel bad if I can't come to work, because that shit's on me, you know what I mean? Because then if I don't come to work, my responsibilities fall on one of the plebs, so to speak, and right, that's not what we, that's not what we want, right? Um, but nah, cool, again, happy to be here with y'all, um, and excited for today's topics, because it's going to be, it's going to be, they're going to be doozies. Anyway, with that said, we'll keep the ball rolling, um, just a few headlines, as we usually do, um, if you haven't heard. Cuba is exploring, providing their vaccine to tourists, so the vaccine for the plague, um, which would be an interesting thing to keep an eye on as this could very well mean that Cuba will be the tourist spot in (laughs) the region, especially while other countries in the region still struggle to get it under control as colonizers continue to bring the disease with them to these islands. Um, Very, very interesting. Um, It's also really interesting that I think it was Seattle City Council is sort of petitioning to remove Cuba from the terrorist list so that they can like... Do business, you know what I mean? Um, and I would like I was telling you guys before, like before this, um, I can't recall the senator's name that was proposing legislation to end the blockade as well. What was what was his name?
1: It was uh, Ron Wyden from Oregon.
0: Yeah. Um, and do you know anything more about that at all?
1: What I do know is that uh, more broadly, this campaign to get municipalities, and I believe even Ron Wyden himself, though I couldn't speak too directly to that. Uh, But this campaign to get municipalities to adopt these resolutions, it's been something that people within the Cuban solidarity community have been fighting for a really long time. And so I think it's also important to give credit to organizations like the National Network on Cuba, which have really pushed hard for this sort of stuff. They've worked with uh, local city governments across the country to do these sorts of things. And once again, I believe they have uh, or you know, people have worked directly with Ron Wyden on this as well, because I believe this is not the first time that Ron Wyden has brought up this issue. Um, so, yeah, once again, credit where credit is due. Cuban solidarity organizations have been busting their asses to get municipalities to do this. And honestly, I, I say to anybody out there, that's a great way to help Cuba. If you're in the United States and you don't know what the don't know where to start, get your city council to adopt a resolution oh, yeah. calling for the end of the blockade. It's it's it's, it's a really big help.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's easy. And often people will ask, you know, oh, you know, how can someone make a concrete impact, you know, for anti imperialism in the United States? And, you know, it can be difficult to think about where you can kind of put pressure, at least at the local level. And, you know, especially as more and more left-wingers are starting to, you know, finally come around to something we've talked about for years, which is that politics must focus at the local and state level. As more and more people come around to what Austin and I have been saying, you know, for a while, uh, this is something you can do. You can pressure, you know, in getting enough city councils to do this, you know, it builds the kind of pressure needed to then press like the Congress, for example, to move right. Congress is more willing to move if they know if like all the major cities in their state or a place, maybe they represent themselves has come out in favor of this. So that is definitely one little thing you can do as part of like some concrete organizing you can do in favor of anti-imperialism and the region as a whole.
1: Definitely. And let's be clear here as well. Um, these municipalities, they have an incentive, right? Get ahead of trading with Cuba. People might be astonished to know that, I, you know, I feel bad. I can't remember which municipality off the top of my head, but somewhere in like Southern Alabama, maybe like Mobile or, or maybe even like Biloxi, Mississippi, something like that, which would geographically benefit from trade with Cuba. One of the municipi- municipalities down there has also adopted a solidarity resolution uh, because of those purposes, because there are, because of the Inarguable um, economic benefits that would come with opening up relations uh, with Cuba. So there's, it's literally just a no brainer for everybody involved. In, in fact, Ron Wyden's uh, statement uh, literally led with, "This is a an archaic policy of the Cold War," which it objectively is. Like, yeah. you are, I mean, you're just an asshole if you uphold the blockade right now. It's, it's, it really is that simple.
0: Exactly. You're just Marco fucking Rubio trying to pander to. His voters in Florida, Miami industrial complex, man. Um. Anyway, keeping the ball rolling in Peru, kind of following up on a conversation that I had with my boy Robert, so the episode I did with him. And again, check that out if you haven't. Um, the Peruvian Congress, to to my surprise, honestly, has approved the constitutional reform-, reform that eliminates uh, parliamentary immunity, so the Supreme Court can now bring charges against members without requiring congressional approval. So there was this whole thing that like, rich motherfuckers would just run who've committed crimes would just run for parliament run for Congress get elected and they have immediate immunity for like for life and shit. So that was sort of behind a lot of the, um, corruption, like actual corruption. We talk about a lot about the word corruption, but actual like odious shit that was going on. Um, this will go a long way to reversing that hopefully if it's employed correctly, um, and not in typical faction that we can just imagine. Right. Um, and just to finish off, near and dear to all of us, but particularly to T, I would say um, there's an out of control wildfire burning Patagonia in Argentina that is quickly approaching residential areas. Um, so, solidarity with them, solidarity with the wildlife there and that whole pr- supposedly pristine area of South America. Um, this is just this is more effects of climate change. Like you had the Mapuche people of the Pampas of Patagonia for years calling out Argentina's like fracking policies in the region that. This is, this is this is what we're getting so like there's this massive unprecedented drop that they're um facing higher than usual temperatures and all everything else that you know we we've come to know about climate change is going on and it's culminating in a bunch of fires and especially this one's particularly out of control that it's um is becoming an emergency in the country so solidarity with everyone being affected there um but today's stories um a few things going on um there was a if you haven't seen the article there has been a um Really, really fascinating art installation sort of featuring a lot of what's called um, the carpetas in Puerto Rico. So essentially for decades, the State Department, FBI, CIA were actually keeping tabs on like anyone that's even remotely suspected of being part of a nationalist movement in Puerto Rico, part of the Independence Party, if you're socialist, communist, whatever, even if just too liberal of a liberal, they were legit keeping binders full of information of these people keeping records so it became almost like a like a, almost a running joke oh don't go to that protest you know they'll keep a binder on you and this art installation came out and it's really really fascinating so we'll get into that and a bit of the history of what that's all about um then we'll talk about what's going on in haiti and almost as an extension of biden's foreign policy as as a in a general sense so haiti's seeing massive protests as the president the u.s backed the imf backed president at at the moment is refusing to step down, even though he, by all objective measures, needs to step down. But he's like, nah. And of course, the US is backing him. People are taking the streets. So Haiti is about to erupt in that revolutionary fervor that we know them to have. And we'll actually start today with um, just following up on Ecuador and the election that's taking place. I suppose for me, it's tomorrow. Well, for you guys tomorrow as well. So it's the um and everything that's going on there so obviously as we talked m- mentioned last time in our episode where we've covered this um the you know Correista uh candidate Arauz by all accounts by all measures is going to win and rel- relatively comfortably right they, they do have a runoff system just like a lot of um Latin America a lot of the world frankly and it looks like he'll just outright win in the first round so of course that can't happen, right? So the AOAS is stepping in. Len Moreno just this past week went to the US and met with our homie Luis Almagro. You know, I'm sure they were up to um some yeah. odious shit. Um and you see the propaganda machine coming out, right? Just just making up shit, um, just to try to, you know, brainwash and sort of get into like the more, I guess, I, I hate to, to use the term, but like low information voter, just to try to try to scare them, try to propagandize against Arauz. Um, but we'll see what happens. So hopefully they'll make it out the other end. And He'll win, right? Unlike what we've seen in, in the region. Yeah,
1: you know, I was about to say this is uh this is Almagro, this is the OAS, this is the right within Latin America. Um, knowing that after what happened in Bolivia, Ecuador will go back to the Coreistas unless they rig it, right? And we kind of touched upon this uh a teeny bit uh on our previous current events episode. But I also think when looking at the election in Ecuador tomorrow, when looking at the situation in Ecuador, it's very important to take a bit of a step back and kind of think about what exactly Ecuador has gone through in the past couple decades. Right. Uh, what led to the rise of Correa? Kind of what what was Correismo, so to speak? Why was Ecuador do, doing so well under Correa? How, you know, what is the role of the IMF in, in, uh, in Ecuador? Right. For anybody who is unfamiliar with that situation. Um, Correa, uh, I'd say his, uh, probably one of the most famous things he did, um, after he was elected was, uh, uh, successfully negotiating down, um, the bondholder debt that Cor, uh, that Ecuador had this odious debt that us Puerto Ricans are of course familiar with, right? Uh, similarly, uh, uh, Ecuador, uh was in a somewhat similar situation they had a significant amount of debt that they owed to organizations like the IMF after korea you know took office in 2007 uh he was actually uh, and he had a uh pre previous history as an economist i should say since that adds some more context here um he was able to successfully reduce that debt by 60% right now, for us as Puerto Ricans, that 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 resonates, Ooh. right? Just imagine if somebody in the government actually would actually tried to see which was what debt was legit, uh, legitimate and what was illegitimate, right? And it's and it, it's I think that's a very important point to, uh, to to mention.
0: Yeah, could you imagine if we had the sovereignty to do that?
1: Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. There, there. <laughs> now you're picking it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like the way you think, Leroy. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? But yes, I'd say that was one of the, probably like Correa's big calling card after he got elected, right? So Correa, you know, began to ally himself with uh, the ascendant uh, left-wing within uh, within Latin America at the time. Um, Ecuador, of course, would go on to join ALBA, the the Bolivarian alliance, that is, um, become friendly with Venezuela, Ecuador, or excuse me, Venezuela and Bolivia, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So Ecuador, (laughs) I remember quite famously, I think, Sometime deep in Correa's second term, he was con- he was ranked as the most popular head of state in the entire world. His approval rating was like in like the eighties or something obscene like that. Um, so I remember thinking at that time, okay, Ecuador's safe, it's good. Ecuador, yeah. Ecuador's in a good place, man. I remember Lenin Moreno, his then vice president. I remember the champion of the disabled. I remember, oh yeah, I'm with you. He can't Lenin Moreno. When he ran for president to succeed Ecuador or to succeed Correa, he ran as a Correista. He ran as a loyal, as like, uh, yeah, I'm going to continue what Correa started. And I'll never forget. I will never forget. I think it was maybe a month after um, after Moreno took office. It was UT that uh, brought it to my attention. You were like, D- do you- did you see what Correa has been tweeting out? He's saying that Moreno, he's-, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, that everything's a lie. I I couldn't believe it. I was like you're kidding, right? How how is this how is that possible? Which that's it's to me it speaks to one of two things, right? Either one, I, I don't know, a failure to vet your successors, right? That's I it's kind of mind-numbing to me how that could even happen, or two, my favorite theory, uh bro, Almagro has like Moreno's nudes or something. Like <laughs> I like I have never in my life seen that much of a 180. Like, it's remarkable to me how that happened, right? It's, it's, uh, it hit, it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah.
2: I remember being, like, fucking excited for Lennon Moreno, too. Like, I remember, like, when he was running, I was fucking hype. I was like, oh, shit. This dude, like, he understands, like, disabled people. His name
1: was Lennon. His name is (laughs) Lennon.
2: (laughs) Like, this dude, like, he seemed like he was the perfect successor, like, to Correa. This would be, he would be a great, like, I was waiting for the world to meet this guy. I was waiting for it, man. He
1: looked and felt like a Pantheon figure. Right.
0: It's that classic bait and switch, right? We, we, you kind of saw this in the eighties with um, Perez in Venezuela. How when he was running, goes, Oh, you know, we're not going to, you know, take any of the IMF money, we're not going to impose any of these neoliberal policies, does immediately. And that's what led to the Caracaso. I think the difference is that there was never before Perez in Venezuela, there was never a, I guess, socialist left wing sort of movement in government, whereas here there was. So, by all accounts, this is more of a, let down more of a betrayal than that was because that that was if then it was all just words because yeah yeah don't worry you know i'll be okay this is like well we have all the evidence that if he continues this we're going to be in a better spot bait and switch and look what happened um and i think it's important that we bring up something that we didn't we neglected last time correa himself correa originally was on the ballot with arauz as his vice president but because corruption charges as we talked about were brought against him it's he's not allowed to run and he's been in exile in belgium for like years now and there was a whole it was a whole thing so he was taken off the ballot he can't come back to ecuador because they'll put him in prison and all that bullshit and blah 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 um but they're in a really really good spot um and with that like i want to bring up as well that i was i saw that 30 economists signed a letter basically supporting arauza's like economic policies correista policies right and denouncing all the bullshit sort of propaganda that's been floating around to try to you know entice voters to vote the other way um, and there's rumors that you know he was going because if for you don't know Ecuador uses the US dollar right um, that's mm-hmm. just their, their national currency that they use um, they were saying that one of the first things we're going to do was get rid of the dollar which would obviously wow. like fuck up the economy immediately and Arauz never like suggested that Correa never suggested even under Correa even at the height of his socialist programs never floated the idea because he understood what that would mean um so they came out because there was this has never been a thing so stop your bullshit we as economists support what he's doing and acknowledge um the the viability of, of of his program
1: Yeah, to uh, kind of going uh, piggybacking on that point, got to shout out the homie and amazing Bolivian journalist, Ali Vargas, who put out a wonderful tweet, which was something along the lines of uh, the fact of the matter is that Ecuador's economy was doing much better Mm -hmm. under Correa than it did under Moreno and the IMF. And that's just a fact that no amount of media can spin. And it's same like Bolivia. The economy was objectively doing better under Moss. No amount of media spin can change that.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to go with that tweet as well, because I saw that. And basically what Oleg Vargas is, is, goes on to say is that those are objective facts, that they have that going for them, that no one can say otherwise, that they can actually with all confidence, with, you know, with no bullshit, say like, look, objectively, the economy was better under us. So if you, are, if you don't want to be hungry, vote us in, because the last time you, were, you didn't feel this hunger was when we were in power.
1: Absolutely. And just wanted to backtrack a a little bit. You used a very important word when discussing Lennon Moreno, betrayal, right? Like I can't think of a more appropriate word because I'd say when things really started going downhill for Lennon Moreno um, was when he did the ultimate betrayal, which was to accept a $10 billion IMF loan right yep. a complete 180 from the Correismo that he once championed that he was once a part of that was betrayal right and that was what led uh, or that was what led to uh, the IMF advising him to abolish fuel subsidies right which then led to the massive protests in Ecuador in late 2019 that some of the some of you listening probably remember right the protests were so massive that in uh, what i think was so symbolic Lenin Moreno literally had to flee Quito to go to Guayaquil, right? The former Spanish colonial city on the coast.
2: How appropriate.
1: Yeah, very symbolic. I found it, right? Leaving the former indigenous capital to go retreat to the Spanish colonial city on the coast. No shade to anybody living in Guayaquil. I've heard it's a beautiful city, but that's just the context.
0: (laughs) Yeah, That's that's, that's, that's a symbolism. It means
1: something. Exactly. (laughs) And betrayal, right? Julian Assange. That's probably the most famous thing that people in the United States or the global left know of of the Ecuadorian left, right? Unfortunately. Um, But giving Julian Assange asylum was a major, major, uh, it was a a, a massively good thing that Rafael Correa did. Lenin Moreno reversed that decision, right? Betrayal, I think, is a very crucial word when describing Lenin Moreno. And those protests that happened in late 2019, like I said, it has been all downhill for Lenin Moreno, since then, ever since that happened, I knew his days were numbered. I'm sure you guys probably, oh, <laughs> probably felt. I honestly thought there might be a goddamn revolution, like that. Like, like we said, he was literally fleeing the capital. Um, and also, just to to wrap that story up as well, he did cave and not abolish the fuel subsidies right? Because he literally, because there literally would have been a goddamn revolution if he just went through with it. And I think it's also important to uh, shout out uh, uh, Conai, right? The uh, Ecuadorian indigenous group, which was the backbone yeah. of that protest movement as well.
2: The parliamentary left in Latin America looks, sounds, and feels confident in there is a confidence in the the tone of voice, in the movement and organizing that is taking place um, among the parliamentary left. Uh, you know, specifically, you know the, these movements in Bolivia and Ecuador. I I don't remember the last time I saw them looking like this, talking like this, acting like this, moving with that big dick swagger. Like they <laughs> they really are
1: certainly not since Chavez was alive and Salak was getting founded. That's probably the last time I can think of where there was like some sort of optimism. Right. And, and yeah, you're right. It's, it's amazing to see this new anti-imperialist surge in Latin America. That's what it is, you know? And I think it, it, it's a guarantee that it's going to manifest itself in Ecuador tomorrow. I think, um, supporting the Union for Hope, I believe is the coalition name that they're going with now, since as Leroy uh, implied earlier, they have literally had a few different electoral parties have their certifications removed throughout the process of this as well, in addition to Korea being banned from running. So they've been literally been getting persecuted electorally, but they're still going to win either way. Um, I think it's an inevitability, right? I think it's an inevitability, and I think it's important to look to the... Uh, Observers right now. I think that's crucial. If we want everything to go as smoothly as possible in Ecuador, those observers are so crucial. Just like everybody was watching Bolivia, we've all got to be watching Ecuador. Yes. I think I honestly do believe that that was the biggest factor, or one, obviously, Bolivian people were the biggest factor, but international support for what the Bolivian people were doing. Was crucial, man. It's crucial. I look at Honduras that doesn't get that that service. I look at Haiti, which we'll be talking about in a little bit, which doesn't get that service. Right? It's so important for the international community to be to be to be watching this, right? And that's why I, shout out to the Progressive International. I know they've got a, an observer delegation down there, and they're they're doing very good work.
0: Austin, are you saying there's a specter hunting Latin America?
1: I might. That might there's be a, what I'm saying, Leroy.
0: There's a specter hunting Latin America. No, but in all seriousness, 100 like like for me i'm usually the most pessimistic one here but i'm fairly optimistic that tomorrow will be a good day um but it can go either way if there is fuckery it could be either because the us the you know empire thinks ecuador is a smaller story than bolivia so they can kind of get yeah. away with it or they're just trying to make up for their losses you know what i mean but i'm as the as the pessimistic one here i'm confident of a good day
2: and really quick i know we got to move on but um Two very quick points um, when we're thinking about tomorrow and the possibility of fuckery. I don't want to be the rain cloud. Again, I'm normally the optimistic one, and I'm Mm. optimistic about tomorrow as well. But comparing Ecuador and Bolivia, two points. Number one, the right wing achieved power in an undemocratic manner. Okay, so they were already from day one kind of the enemy of the population. Number two, they were in power for a year. Okay, so their power was never stable. They were never stable. Ecuador's different. Ecuador, again, it was a betrayal. He did not run as a right winger, but he did win legitimately. Number two, he's had a few years to put people in place. So if we see tomorrow that there are some surprises, those surprises is going to be the fuckery. So, you know, I'm also confident. I'm pretty sure, you know, they're going to take Ecuador back. But, you know, uh, it is different than Bolivia.
1: And also, real quick, before we do uh, finish up this story, just to shout out Andres Arauz, right? I don't know that we've talked about him and his policies too much. You know, he, I think, you know, he's he's, uh, one of the things, of course, that I'm always going to push for and be very happy to see is regional integration, right? Mm -hmm. Arauz has already pledged to relaunch UNASUR, right? The Union of South American Nations, which... God, we could do a whole episode on how stupid as fuck ProSor is and how much that makes me mad. But Unasor coming back, it's just an objectively good thing for for everybody involved. And I think, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really optimistic to see Andres Arauz uh, get elected. Honestly, and, and I think he will. And I, I think one of the mo- one of the best things I saw, um, I think I don't know, it was like a slogan or some shit that he had. Because uh, a lot of people have accused him of being like, okay, you're just Correa's handpicked guy, right? And it, it, he had a slogan or something along the lines of like, I am my own man, but Rafael Correa is my top advisor. And that's the kind of shit I like. So <laughs>
2: yeah. good on you,
1: good on you, Andres. Absolutely.
0: And also, he's really young as well. I think he just turned 36 or something. So if you want to support a young millennial president, support him and not that motherfucking Nayib Bukele. Because that, that is a fucking asshole. Support this guy.
1: And... If I'm not mistaken, he went to college in the United States, which means he probably speaks English, which means, hey, Andres, come on the podcast.
0: Yeah, seriously. We love you. We love you on this podcast.
1: Anyway, um, just keeping the ball
0: rolling. We'll go to Haiti now. So Haiti, obviously, for us is – for anybody in the Caribbean, the Haiti should be the blueprint of revolution because they're the fucking badass and they're the blueprint of not only revolution – but also of imperial fuckery, you know what I mean? Because they don't have, they shouldn't be in this position. But Europeans, with their fucking capital and their fucking power, made Haiti what it is now. Unfortunately, um, yeah. T, go ahead.
2: Fucking Haiti abolished slavery, and France and the United States have never, ever, not once, ever let it go. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That that's where it comes from. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Yeah.
0: No, like 100% doesn't to get too off track, but Haiti fucked up the United States economic plans. You know what I mean? Because after that, the American slaves started getting bright ideas of freedom and shit. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, for, yeah, anyway, for today's story, again, like I, like I mentioned before, uprising in the country because the president is refusing to step down as he should. And as we mentioned in previous episodes, like he's basically been, been, Ruling by decree since last year, because there's basically no effective constitution in place. There's no effective ruling parliamentary in place. Um, But he's just sort of been doing his own bullshit. Um, And obviously this is comes uh, sealed and stamped by the United States by Biden's foreign policy. They've already come out supported this motherfucker who's still in power. I forget what the exact quote is that I read earlier, that um, the the State the State Department guy came out and was saying something along the lines of, um, you know, we support um, democratic, you know, um, moving forward in Haiti. We, we support democratic process in Haiti, which is why we support the president finishing his term February 7th, 2022 or some shit. When it's like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, honestly... <clears throat> The, the really the brazenness that the Biden administration has approached uh, towards policy toward haiti it's disgusting honestly um part of me is surprised that there's not more outrage although there was a pretty significant degree of outrage to uh, biden's complete uh To the shredding of the deportation moratorium, which, you know, granted there was uh, legal bullshit involved and asshole judges getting in there. But still, regardless, unacceptable. Um, Thousands of Haitians were scheduled uh, to be deported. Many were deported. Um, Luckily, after outcry from activists, that has been halted. So they have said, we'll see if that's actually real or not. But I think that's a crucial part of this story as well, right? Just, you know, how much... um, United people in the United States just don't give a fuck about Haiti, right? I find it very amusing that when it comes to Florida, how many people say, well, we've got to cater to the Haitian diaspora, those Haitian votes. Nobody ever says that, right? Even though there is a massive Haitian diaspora, even though you could easily make the argument that, Oh, why don't we treat Haitians like their own constituency and actually care about their country in Florida? But of course, no nuance. It's just,, uh, you know, Haitians, it's just all black and white. They're just all protesting who gives a fuck, right? And yeah. it's it's very sad to see so many people kind of uh, cater to that sort of narrative. And I think <laughs> once again to stay to take a bit of a step back, because there are many, many layers to what is going on in Haiti right now. Um, it's important to talk about the history of Jean Bertrand Aristide, right? who yeah. was twice twice couped, right? He has the honorable distinction of being twice elected and twice couped, right? Uh, the first ever Democrat- democratically elected president in Haiti, right? Exactly, a, fam- a liberation theologian, right? Uh, truly uh, <laughs> talking about pantheon figures, right? Aristide is most certainly an admirable pantheon figure. Um, his most recent coup <laughs> uh, in 2004, right? Um, and I think a lot of modern Haiti is kind of defined after not just that 2004 uh, coup d'etat, which... I mean, was just the United States slapping the Haitian democratic process in the face. But a lot of modern Haiti is, of course, defined by the 2010 earthquake, right? And all the fallout that happened from that. Right now, what you're seeing happening in Haiti right now, a lot of it stems from that 2010 earthquake, right? The the misuse of funds, the misuse, the, the the cholera outbreak, which there are a lot of you know things behind that. You know, I'm I'm no fucking like uh, um, scientist. I don't know how shit works, but it wouldn't be the first time the UN or some you know outer governmental organization did some foul shit like that. Um, you know, after the the earthquake in Haiti and kind of like the just the, the absolute devastation that the earthquake wrought on Haitian society. Um, you saw a swooping in of all those bullshit NGOs, right? Obviously, Clinton most, Foundation. I was, took the words out of my mouth, my friend. I was going to say, most infamously, the Clinton Foundation had their, their paws in there, right? Got to get a piece of the pie, right? Clinton did a great time the first time around with Aristide, so why not come back again? Um, so... It's and this would, this, this would lead a lot of what happened after the earthquake would lead to the election of good old sweet Mickey. Do we remember Sweet Mickey? Who remembers Sweet Mickey? Sweet Mickey. Oh yeah, Michelle. I remember remember Sweet Mickey. Oh yeah, Sweet Mickey, Michelle Martelli, right? Oh, I'm a populist guy. Yeah, well, he was full of shit, right? That was not like that was a surprise (laughs) to any of us. Um, So Michelle Martelli governed like a fucking just a neoliberal, handpicked bullshit. You know, whatever the fuck. Michelle Martelly did fuck all, right? And uh it's really <laughs> Michelle Martelly and of course this is the abridged version people. Um it's Michelle it's Michelle Martelly's successor right now, Jovenel Moise, who all of the all like society has now come to this point where I I I don't know what the fuck is going to happen in Haiti in the coming days because of what is going on right now. Um as you described Leroy Jovenel Moise's term was structured to end this month, right? And he is making the argument uh, the that he took office in 2017. Therefore, his uh, which he didn't, by the way. But he's making the argument that because his constitutionally mandated, and yes, this is some very legalistic bullshit. And yes, it is stupid. But yes, Jovenel Moise is making the argument that his constitutionally mandated term. Began in 2017, and therefore, his full five years are up in 2022. Despite the fact that he did not take office in 2017, he actually took office earlier. So, right now, what has just happened... Yeah, (laughs) so a lot of Haitian activists and a lot of Haitian activist groups uh, have been protesting what Jovenel Moise has been planning to do, right? Staying on for power, staying on in power for another year. Basically ruling by decree is what he's been doing the last, last year too, which that's a whole nother thing that we'll get into. Um, And uh, yeah. And in fact, I think that's a crucial part of the story too, right? The, the massive Petro Caribe protests, right? The, the Petro Caribe protests, which have also happened under Jovenel Moise, the the misuse of funds, I find it so remarkable that in Haiti, where once again people try to portray things as so black and white, <laughs> to me, one of the most sophisticated protest movements is that one right there, Petro Caribe. the Haitian people. <laughs> there's a long historical relationship between Haitians and Venezuelans, right? Oh yeah, yeah,
2: goes yeah. back goes back to the beginning, exactly. Bolivar
1: that's why Chavez you know set up deals with Haiti to get them preferential treatments on preferential payments on oil and shit like that um and it was I believe during the I believe it was during the Brazil World Cup um uh or excuse me the 20 it was during the 2018 World Cup after a Brazil game which for people that are unaware in the Caribbean the Brazilian national team is very popular that's a historical thing um It was after a game that Brazil was playing in the 2018 World Cup uh, that massive protests erupted because of a rise in fuel prices, right? People were astonished. They knew that they had been given money for cheap oil. And yet oil was super fucking expensive. You know, it was a, it was a, they, you know, the people knew, they know that Jovenel Moise has been embezzling funds. And that's been a big part of the story as well. So right now, Now that Biden has decided to back Jovenel Moyes and the OAS2 for another year. Explicitly. Explicitly. explicitly, Yes. Which is a, it's, it would be funny if it wasn't so damn disgusting. Right. Um, Jovenel Moyes is now planning to do a constitutional referendum. In oh, a few months.
2: really? How fucking convenient. Yeah. How surprising that happens oh, yeah. when the man starts ruling by decree and now Uncle Sam has decided to back him. How shocking. Yep.
1: <laughs> our boy Jovenel Moise is now per- proposing a constitutional referendum, I believe, set for April. Right. And let's see what's what are some of the reforms that our boy Jovenel is trying to do. Right. Well, right now in Haiti, technically, a president cannot run for consecutive reelection. Oh, conveniently enough, that's no longer going to be the case. right? <laughs> and now perhaps <laughs> this one I find very curious Um the let me get the exact language here um also can i can i just say real quick on that point like for me personally i think we've talked
0: about it before like a president being elected for consecutive terms isn't an issue in and of itself but in a case like this had it been a left-wing president i said hey i'm pretty popular you know, I'm succeeding. let's you know let's get me elected so I can continue this. It'd be the fucking end of the world. That's when you'll see exactly. the voters swooping in and all that shit. That's why this is significant, not the policy itself, but the context
1: of why the policy is coming up. Thank you, Leroy. That's very important to to point out. and uh, the the reform that uh I found uh, very uh, interesting is that there will no longer be residence requirements for the President of Haiti. All you oh, well, need is, you, all you need is, quote, or before you needed five years of residence, right? Now, all you need is, quote, habitual residence, wherever the fuck that means. And so that we, means- we, oh yes, we being familiar in Latin American history, we know exactly what that means, right? Leroy, tell us what it means.
0: He's going to be living in Miami with technically yes. a mansion in freaking Port-au Prince or Le Cap in the North.
2: They're gonna, they're gonna fucking treat Haiti like it was a, like a fucking fiefdom, like it was a oh. personal fiefdom, and they're the absentee landlord where they really want to be. Which, again, as you said, fucking Miami.
0: Yeah, this will be pre, this will be pre Haitian Revolution Haiti almost. Also, on that note, check out um Revolution's podcast, there, um the series on on the Haitian Revolution by Mike Duncan. It's pretty good.
2: Yeah, you out. know,
1: absolutely, and it's uh like I like I go once back to it's the brazenness the brazenness Mm -hmm. is it's remarkable to me like this is Haiti man we should all be paying attention to this it's so like what's happening in Haiti right now is um I don't know it's it it's not good right it continues to to escalate into just a a very awful situation and I I feel that because of how unpopular Jovenel is, right? Because, like you said, Leorio, it would be one thing if he was wildly popular. He is not, right? Now, of course, he has the right wing death squads on his side, but you know that's another yes. thing. Um, which there are right wing death squads in Haiti that you know racist media will just say, "Oh, the gangs; those are death squads." But you know, whatever. Um, you know, Jovenel Moise—he's he's so damn unpopular that this protest movement isn't going away. It's not going away, people. It—it's if. The Biden administration really like what this tells me is that they are planning to just feed on Haiti right now. Not like that's ever not been the case, but they can't possibly be dumb enough to know that leaving Jovenel in in power for another, another year is not going to result in like massive unrest the likes of like it's already popping off now i encourage people to follow uh, what's her name madam bookman on twitter you know she live tweets a lot of things a lot of the protests and stuff that happened you know it's it's popping off right now
2: there's so there's a couple of countries uh, when, when you said just now that austin that i i can't imagine i don't know how this ends there's actually a couple of places in the Americas, where it feels this way. So you take a place like Bolivia, you take a place like Ecuador, even Brazil to a certain extent, you kind of, it's almost as if if this was being written. The left coming back, it makes sense. You can feel it. But there are certain countries that you can't see the future. Haiti is one of them. I also don't know how this ends without, honestly, revolts. There are a couple other places. You know the other places, believe it or not, The United States, this is another country where I don't see the future. You know, Puerto Rico, another country. I don't see the future. You know, not like a place like Ecuador where you can kind of see, oh, yeah, I can see where they'll be headed to. I don't see a year from now for those three places, for the U.S., Puerto Rico, and Haiti.
1: I would also throw Central America in that category yes, as well. Yes, yes, And I would say that the unifying feature of all these places is that these are places where the left is not allowed to succeed. It is too yep. damaging to the narrative. It is too... Da- it, it, just imagine a radical leftist Haiti. Oh, it, it it's too much. A radical leftist, you know, uh, united Central America. Yeah, I said it. That's just too much for the United States.
0: All right. We're, we're Marxists here, right? So we like a good contradiction, right? Oh, yes. Haiti is one of those places, just like Bolivia that shouldn't be as poor as they are. Because tradition, like at one point, France, the French empire was the richest empire in the world because singularly because of Haiti, because Haiti was the richest calling the world, providing, was it coffee, lumber, like all sorts of sh- sugar, all sorts of shit. And then like we said, after the revolution, as a massive fuck you, France created a Haiti in its own, created the Haiti that they want. Same thing with Bolivia. At one point, the Spanish Empire was the richest empire in the world because of the silver extraction. To the point and we've talked about it before. To the point that they were extracting so much silver that European like, economies collapsed. Like there was massive inflation because there was so much fucking silver there. So China too. China, China yeah, exactly. It was to the point that China's silver, you know, like economy was collapsing. But what I'm trying to say is that these are situations, like when we talk about capitalism, when we talk about extractive modes of production, like these are the contradictions that we arrive to. We have a resource-rich country that is, whose people are poor, are dirt poor. You know what I mean? Still being controlled as as essential, because Haiti has never not been a fiefdom of global north capital. From from the decades after the Haitian Revolution, where Haiti, or where France imposed a rep, like a forced them to pay reparations to them to the point where like, even after all the debts were paid, France was still demanding that they keep making payments. You know what I mean? Collapsing the economies of, collapsing the, the economies of Haiti.
2: There's a reason. There's a reason why England, France, Spain, uh, the Dutch, everybody was fucking looking at Haiti, why Thomas Jefferson as president of the United States lusted after the Caribbean, lusted after them.
0: They were were trying to admit Haiti as a state, I think, at one point. Like they were trying to admit uh, Hispaniola.
2: Yep, yep, yep. Yep, they wanted to make uh, Hispaniola a state, and they wanted to conquer Cuba, but that's another conversation. And they successfully
1: annexed Puerto Rico, but you know we're still mad about that. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but real, real
1: quick, uh, something I wanted—you know—you mentioned that you know this goes back a long time for Haiti. One of the ways that the United States was able to get its tentacles so deep into Haiti was the military occupation in the early twentieth century, mm. right during the nineteen twenties. What was this occupation ostensibly for? So they could build up the Haitian police force all that meant was getting the military and the police in the pocket of the United States so they could rule in perpetuity. And that's what they've done ever since, man. That is what they've done. That is what the United States has done to Haiti ever since, since the occupation during the early 20th century, Haiti's been, been reeling from that ever since. And, and I think it's, yeah, it's important as you mentioned, Leroy, to go back to that historical context.
0: And like, not only are we Marxists here, we're, we're Bolivarians, right? If, if, if you like the idea of a free South America, Who's the national, who's the hero? Simon Bolivar. What is the one of the only reasons Simon Bolivar was so successful? Because he went to Haiti, got their support, and got resources from Haiti. Haiti was the crux, the turning point, right? Because earlier in his career, in his liberatory, you know, liber- as a hero career, Bolivar was was failing. He was failing until it switched. He goes, I need to get the support of, you know, Africans, of the black people of, you know, the region. Haiti had a successful revolution. If I get their support, man, like it's, that's it. And what
1: happened? Got the support. Turning point in the history of the region. And let's not forget what the deal was. The Haitians said, yeah, we'll support you, but you have to commit to abolishing slavery. You have to commit to abolishing slavery in South America. And that's what Bolivar did, right? That was the agreement that was made in Haiti between Bolivar and, and – uh, uh, I forget which leader it was, but uh, one of the Haitian leaders at the time.
2: Real mean, quick, was another –
1: I think it might have been Christophe. I'm literally going to fact check it right now.
2: So, go ahead. Um, another, you know, just a, real quick, another effect of the Haitian Revolution, and again, the Haitians saved us. They they've saved the Americas multiple times, right? The Haitians, people, you know, some people think that the paranoia in the Southern planter class. Um, that the Southern aristocracy in the United States uh, during when, you know, when the South uh, were slave states, some people, you know, some historians will argue that the reaction that the Haitian revolution induced such a, a fanatical and paranoid reaction in the Southern aristocracy that they went so far in um, imposing harsh measures that it eventually boomeranged against them. Right. So, if you, you know, if that, you know, maybe that's true, you could argue definitely the planters were terrified and and hated Haiti. Um so I think, you know, that's something to think about. Haiti saved us all.
1: And real quick coming back in with the fact check, it was Alexander Pétion. That was the president of Haiti Petion. that I we corresponded
0: with. I said Dessalines but thinking of Pétion. Yeah, it was Pétion yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um and and real quick, I don't know if this is a thing at all, but like I don't know if you guys seen that um, that speech that Maurice Bishop gave, you know, um, leader of the New Jewel Movement in Grenada in New York, talking about how like there's this whole CIA file against Grenada. The reason why they wanted was because you have a population of Black people who are leftists, who speak English, who can communicate to 30 million. Like, it could have been almost the same thing at that time. So you have... French speaking black people who could speak to French speaking black people in Louisiana who also speak yep. English who could spread that shit you know what i mean yep. i don't know if that connection is there but i guess arguably the connection could be made as well so i
2: don't know that's interesting i think i think there's there's reason to to believe that definitely that that the haitian revolution 100% had an impact towards our own abolition movement in the united states Easily. without question Easily.
0: Yeah, um, and yeah. Before we move on, I gotta say, again, I'm from Florida. I'm from Central Florida. I'm from Kissimmee. I'm from Point Sienna That has a massive Haitian population. I grew up with Haitians. Haitians are some of the nicest people. You like, it's disgustingly nice, and they don't deserve <laughs> this shit. They don't deserve the history they've had, and like, it's all fucking bullshit. So hopefully, everything works out. And I know it, it might sound a little liberal. I hope everything works out, but like, I think you know what I mean.
1: And sorry, just real quick, just once again, shouting out Madame Buchman. Follow her on Twitter. Haiti Information Project, that's another good one. NACLA has been putting out really good pieces on Haiti as well. So those are three good resources that I recommend people check out. NACLA spelt N A C L A.org.
0: Definitely. Definitely check that out. But um, to keep the ball rolling, talking about imperialism, talking about something near and dear to our hearts, Carpetas in Puerto Rico. So Obviously, this story, I guess, specifically why I bring it up now was because there's that art installation where um, the journalist basically published and made an art installation of all the binders of CIA, like declassified information on Puerto Rican nationalists, Puerto Rican, even just Puerto Rican liberals, right? That the CIA and the FBI were keeping tabs on, putting this art installation. It's, it's beautiful. And because everything's been declassified, it's fucking re- amazing some of the shit that we're writing in there like legit like oh you know we have a count of 75 people in this town that blah 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 you know what i mean um but shout out to the for doing that and i think this goes to something that we always talk about that I, Austin, i know you always bring like bring up that anytime we have the conversation about the popularity of statehood or how unpopular independence is we have to keep we have to talk about in the context that independence movements, nationalism movements, any remote left wing movements in Puerto Rico were systematically like repressed by not only the Puerto Rican government, but by the U S government, because we have to remember, like, even though Puerto Rico is a colony, it's sort of home rule. Like the people who are like in charge of that home rule are fucking compradores, right? They want to be, mm-hmm. you know, the lapdogs of the U S because they're getting fat. Like you look at former governor Luis Fortunio, who actually lives in your neck of the woods, guys in Virginia. He was getting fat. He was getting fat of supporting, you know, the the, the statehood movement because we talked about it here. Statehood is just uh, the the carrot and stick, but we have to talk about it in the context that independence supporters, independentist activists were systematically repressed. They were thrown in prison. Even Pedro Abisso Campo, the number of times he went to prison, like he died of the effects of like radiation. That he was subjected to. You know what I mean? Our nationalist hero. Say what you will of some of his tendencies, but he was our nationalist hero who was systematically tortured, tortured at the behest of fucking literally of J. Edgar Hoover, who named Pedro Gabiso Campo by name in some of these um in some of these binders. Um up to like the events under um Carlos Romero Barcelo, who was governor of Puerto Rico in the 70s, who ordered the Cerro Maravilla attack, right? The murder of two independentist activists by the police who were actually extensions of the FBI and all that shit. So, I mean, that's something we'll, you know, we need to keep in mind, the context that we need.
1: Yeah, you know, I, that point is such a crucial one, right? That the independence movement has consistently been beaten back uh it's been crushed whenever it's you know gained any sort of momentum right and the carpetas are they're an example of that right this is this is literally a spy program right that the fbi and exactly the fbi and secret police on the island we're doing in puerto rico right you'd think socialists would use that as a very visceral example of secret police in the united states but i guess they're just not that smart i suppose um i find it so uh, one of the things
2: puerto ricans are brown they don't matter
1: Oh yeah, that's true. Sorry, I forgot about that one. We're all brown. Shout out, um, shout out, uh, Buzzfeed. Buzzfeed had a really good piece on the exhibit, interviewing some of the uh, the people that put the exhibit together. Um, and one thing that uh, one of the authors brought attention to that I thought, or there was a really, uh, really, i recommend anybody check that piece, that article. It's really interesting. But some of the things I thought found very fascinating in that piece was the attempts made by the FBI to so disunity within the independence movement right and obviously that's something we know of documented the u.s government doing in the united states doing everywhere but it's so fascinating the way that they would that they would try to infiltrate these groups or put out propaganda that would put these different groups against each other right and i found that very fascinating because people you know it's to me the left can fall into disunity so goddamn easily right we see it all the time. And I think we've, sometimes we've just got to do a better job of being mindful of that. Right. And, and trying to stick together, right. And trying to go and trying to fight that discord that others try to sow within the left. Right. Cause to me, it's sad when I read these carpetas and I see how effective they were. That's what makes me the most sad. Right. And, and one thing that really stuck with me reading that the, the Buzzfeed piece was, um, one of the exhibit, one of the people that put the exhibit together put something along the lines of, you know, something that was like a lot of the people that had carpetas, they never even knew. Right. Exactly. They, but they knew what one thing that they did know, right, was that they were being watched and the psychological impact of knowing you were being watched was just as good as making as, as getting you to sit down and shut up. As, you know, really getting like cracked down on just knowing that these these, like you said, Leroy, that you might get put in a fucking binder if you go to a protest movement. Right. It, it caused it. A, a, it caused psychological damage to people who wanted to fight for independence. You know, it made you think twice before you publicly supported independence. And we need to remember that we need to appreciate that history whenever we talk about um, whenever we talk about the the independence movement i don't know if either of you have anything oh
2: honestly and god be with the fucking you know the martyrs and all those people whose lives were destroyed destroyed you know imagine like because you know the shit influence you know they slipped information to employers you know that they sabotaged these people's lives in secret and devious ways you know every so often just to make sure that they could never get their bearings never never have the never be comfortable enough or in a position where they can continue fighting for freedom.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly right. And um, for more on this and like, it's, you know, kind of mixed reviews, kind of mixed opinions about this, a good place where a lot of this is talked about is in the book um war against all Puerto Ricans, right? There's a f- few different opinions of the book, but, What the book does a good job at is talking about this. And um, if you guys allow me, like, we were sent, like, uh, a sample of it. Like, I'll I'll read from it a little bit. It's in Spanish, but I'll read it and then translate it, yeah? Um, The writing's a little bit small. Man, my eyesight's, like, really shit, but, um, (laughs) yeah? So the first section is from the um, CIA. It says, Hemos recibido información confidencial en el sentido de que la Agencia Central de Inteligencia tiene un grupo operacional in the west of Puerto Rico so basically we have received information that the CIA has a operational group in the west of Puerto Rico I'm from the west of Puerto Rico um, mm-hmm. la misión de este grupo es efectuar operaciones psicológicas y políticas para desacreditar al Partido Socialista Puertorriqueño so the mission of this group is to effect operations like psychological and political operations to discredit the uh, Puerto Rican Socialist Party so right there they have one mission, and it's to discredit the Socialist Party. And one thing that's really fascinating that most people won't like don't know is that the, the Puerto Rico Socialist Party at the time, so like late '40s, early '50s, was I think the second biggest party in Puerto Rico. Right? There was the PPD, then the Socialist Party, um, and then obviously all this bullshit and killed any notion of a left unity, like you said. And this document just goes on and on go- and on about that. And there's another section with the FBI. That says, El negociado federal de investigaciones tiene en Puerto Rico un estimado de entre 75 y 57 agentes de los cuales la mitad están relacionados con evidencia de seguridad interna. So basically the FBI has in Puerto Rico an estimated 75 to about 57 agents in Puerto Rico um, where half of them are related to internal security activities, right? So securing US interests. And it just goes on like that. And it goes on to talk about accumulating, gathering information on the PSP, so the Puerto Rican Socialist Party and infiltration and all that shit. So this is by their own admission, this is what we're fucking doing. And it's and it's amazing to see. And I think the three of us, we knew all the shit was going on. I think any left any Puerto Rican leftist knows that this is going on. Like it's almost a running joke in Puerto Rican generally that if you go even to the most milk toast protests, or oh, you know, there's the you know the warning, oh be careful, they might have a a binder on you as, as almost like a running joke, but to see it here is incredible it's incredible
2: it's It's one thing if it's us like left wingers like you know passing our stories and our rumors back and forth, and it's another thing to have documentation mm-hmm. right it's It's one thing to have documentation yep.
0: yeah yep. also quick shout out to the homie Francisco of the Otocianos o- o- on the island that he's going through some some similar shit. Awesome. Do you have any updates on that? Because he was going through some. I think a lot of other people that were in this situation. So he was at a protest, with like you know when it was. A lot of the other lawyers were getting um, reaccredited, you know, so they could practice, but he
1: hasn't. You see, and it's bullshit. We all know it's bullshit. They're persecuting him, man. Francisco is one of the co-presidents of the ostoscianos right? And they're just doing that because of who he is, man. It's disgusting, frankly. Like, granted, I've never like met Francisco face to face, but the interactions I've had with him and I'm sure Leroy, you can attest to this. And yeah. T you might've been on a call with him once. He's like the nicest good guy, dude. man. Yeah. He's We're just, a, he's one of the most pleasant people I've like. And I'm, that's, that's not bullshit. Like he's just a really nice dude. So it's just, it's, it's disgusting to see what they're doing to Francisco. Right. Especially he's with those Stolzianos. Who the fuck are they hurting, man? Right, Fuck right. you guys. Right.
2: Dude. Exactly. I was, I was literally just about to say that Um, quick note. Interesting in the reports that they said that the CIA had an office in Puerto Rico. I was under the impression the CIA didn't operate on us territory, but um, I, I digress. Yeah, exactly. Mm.
0: Maybe that's if we became a state, we wouldn't have a CIA
2: office. No, we just have oh, the FBI only, right?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> there yeah. we go. That, that's 3d yeah. chess, Leroy. Now yeah. we're talking just quickly on that note. Um, you know, the NYPD has an office here in Australia.
1: What? Yeah. Is that for the New York diaspora? I'm I'm very confused. Yep,
0: the 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 New York diaspora in Australia. Yeah, for some reason, you know, I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, just to get back on track, man, this is bullshit. And I think I I can't emphasize enough that any conversation that we ever have about statehood, about independence, look like, even if statehood was the objectively most popular option for the status in Puerto Rico we can't have that conversation without talking about this. The fact that the propaganda that was popped out, like motherfuckers being disappeared, being tortured, being taken, being, you know, dissension, being sewed into the ranks. Like we can't have the conversation without taking everything in context. You know what I mean? Um, and it's just, and it's just incomplete without it. And it's just cynical to have the conversation without this bullshit. I, th- th-
2: I think it mean? bears repeating too that um when that report, Uh, came out about uh, black identity extremists. If you remember that in the United States, there was this like report that they put out about black identity extremists, quote unquote. Um, Around that time, other reports were coming out that of the 10 classes of people, 10 types of people that the FBI was, you know, was basically on their hunting list, Puerto Rican independence activists were still on that list. Yeah. Into the mid-2010s. Yep. They f- remember that. If you're an independentista, remember this. You're on the list. You're on the list, but they fear you. Yep. They fear you. They know what we have. Mm-hmm. They know what we will bring. Mm-hmm. We Fantastic. know. They know, yeah. they know the kind of fire that we'll bring all right? That's why they're scared. That's why they have to persecute us constantly. That's why they've killed our leaders generation after generation, why they've tortured the island psychologically. They're afraid of us.
0: And just quickly going back to something I said about Haiti as well, like we're ostensibly an English-speaking people, right? We're technically bilingual. If we have revolution, if we have left-wing ideas, we can pass it on to the smaller Grenada, Barbados, the Caribbean, you know what I mean? that can leak through. And if we have too much independence, Cuba, you know, like we say, the uh, pájaro, so the two wings of one bird is Puerto Rican Cuba. We have Venezuela down the road who have very strong cultural connections to as well. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, and again, just to hammer it at home, this is the shit we've been dealing with. This is the shit the independence movement has been dealing with. Anyway, we'll wrap it up there. Um, again, man, like all these subjects are all extensions of Biden's foreign policy, the classic U.S. policy in the region. Nothing is going to materially change. A few things here and there, maybe just at, at least the aesthetics of things, but it's the same fucking bullshit. But anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully we'll see a positive result in Ecuador tomorrow. Po- hopefully, you know, things, you know, pop off in a positive direction in Haiti and long live a sovereign free Puerto Rico. We, we don't have to say that, but you know where we stand on that. Um again if you support what we do and like what we do here and want to show some solidarity, check out our Patreon. Um we yeah, again, as we always say, we have a few um ideas, a few projects that we want to kick off that hopefully with your support will will we'll make we'll, we'll make them possible. Um check us out on Twitter and Instagram. We do TikToks from time to time. Haven't you in, in a while, but that's something that we, we do sometimes. <laughs> um but yeah, and with that said, definitely check out our interview with our buddy Matt.
1: And also for the patrons, we're going to be staying on a little bit uh, later today, so you'll get a little bit of extra content. Um, I will be maybe spilling a little bit of tea on how today's NPC Ooh. meeting went. So if you... Oh, oh yeah, we're going get, get, to get, get the good stuff for the patrons. Yeah, so if you're curious on our personal lives, you know, we kind of talk about that from week to week. We're going to kind, kind of transition that content for our patrons. So if you're curious, uh, subscribe if you support what we do, and and, uh, and like Leroy said, that'll give us the ability to, to put more content out for you.
2: I'll probably start talking like I'll probably be like reckless like I was on our first few episodes again just
0: again like you haven't been <laughs> Nah. anyway again thanks y'all for tuning in uh much love and hasta la victoria
1: cheers
2: later y'all